Turn your Bibles to Psalms. Um, we're going to go to, to Psalm 16. The reason why we pick Psalms is because Psalms is, is really one of the best books of the Bible for showing what does it look like for God's people to draw near to him. Why do God's people draw near? How do God's people draw near? And what does that look like for God's people to draw near? And the reason why we wanted to do that, and so we're going to be Psalm 16, 17, 18, 19, is because we need God. Right? Anybody here aware of their need for God? You aware of your need for God? We need God. God promises us something in James 4, 8. He says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Isn't that a wonderful promise? That's a great privilege that we have. So let's draw near to God in his word. Psalm 16, verses 1 through 11. A mictum of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your rich promises in this word. Thank you, God, that we have good in you, that you have given us good, that you give us a wonderful inheritance. Father, thank you that we dwell secure in you. Thank you that you have made known to us the path of life. Thank you, Father, that you give us pleasures forevermore. Father, I know, though, that my own heart is prone to hear those things and be unaffected. God, our hearts are so often just filled with other things, filled with other pleasures, other busyness, Lord, other distractions. And so, God, aware of that, Lord, we, we confess that to you, that, Lord, so often we look for good so many other places. Lord, would you forgive us for that, but then, Lord, would you satisfy us with yourself? God, I pray for each and every person here that you would satisfy our souls in you, that we would be refreshed in you, that we would be filled with your pleasures forevermore. God, will we delight in you, I pray. Would you truly refresh and renew us in this time? God, would you give us your Holy Spirit, Lord? Thank you that you brought us here, but Lord, we don't take for granted that we're here. Lord, we ask your Holy Spirit to speak. 
that we might hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when my kids were younger, now I do have some young kids at home, but you know, the more kids you have, you kind of you kind of don't do some of the things you did earlier when you had less kids. Anybody here have more than a couple kids and you notice that as you get more kids as they get older that like the, the ones that are younger now lose out. But we used to visit the SPCA and all these pet stores and used to go and visit pet shops all the time when our kids were little and Noah and Abby were little. And when we go to those places, we, we'd love dogs the best. Now it's not to offend anybody, but I just love dogs. Even though I don't have any, they're great. But we go to these dog kennels, and then we would, we would kind of reach out our hands. And so, they, you know, the little want muffins is what we call those little teeny ones. They would come up to you at the cage, and, and they'd lick your hand. But then other dogs would kind of be shy, and they'd go away. And they'd, they'd be off, and you call them, and they would kind of cower. Ever seen a dog cower like that? Anybody ever seen a dog cower? And I don't know if they've been abused or they've been hurt by people or mistreated in some way, most likely. But you see those dogs cower. And sometimes you would reach out your hand, and you, you wanted to to be nice to the dog, to pet him, maybe to give him a treat. And the dog would not only cower in the corner, but kind of growl at you. And, and you think, you know, what, these dogs, it's so sad because they don't know I'm trying to be kind to them. And yet they cower, they pull away. And, and I, I was thinking that, you know, sometimes we can be like that with God. We can cower. Um, we, can, we can pull away from God. Now, we might not be growling in the corner. Now, some of us have been, right? Everybody, you ever been there where you've been angry at God before? It's okay, you can say that. Anybody been angry at God before? Kind of growling in the corner. We pull away. We, we don't realize that he wants to give us what is good. And that's common to the human condition. Other times, we shy away. We feel guilty. Anybody feel guilty? Come on. Anybody feel guilty at times? You withdraw from God, and you don't feel worthy to come into his presence. And so we, we cower that way. And then other times we withdraw from God because we just, we don't believe truly that he really has good things for us or we don't really think we need God when we can kind of be like that. You know, sometimes we believe that God is like people who mistreat us or God is like people who've abused us or God is like people in our lives that make us cower. But God comes to us. And what this psalm is all about is that is that David, he's, he's asking God to, he's appealing to God to preserve him, but he's doing that in confidence because he knows that God is his refuge. He knows that God is what he needs most. And, and so tonight, I want you to, to think that this is not just David saying this psalm, but this is God speaking to you, that God is coming near and says, hey, draw near to me, I'm drawing near to you. God wants to rescue us. He wants to refresh us. He wants to feed us. He wants to care for us. He wants to do us good. And, you know, um, as a Christian, I've been a Christian since I was very little. I, I don't know, you know, in the middle of my life, I had a little period of rebellion. But at least since I was 18 or 19. So for 25 years plus, plus at least, um, I've been sure that I've been a Christian. But, you know, there are still times when I feel like, does, does God really have good things for me? Does God really have my best interest at heart? Now, I know better, I won't ever say that, but, you know, sometimes I wonder that. I think if we're honest, I think most of us at times, we feel like, you know, God has good things for other people, but maybe, maybe not me for some reason. You ever, you ever feel that? We don't have to raise your hand, but you ever feel that way? Sometimes we also don't think we really need God. And we think that, you know what, we're fine on our own. 
and or you know raised in the the god-haunted south we can feel like you know we're good and we need god for salvation but every day i'm not really aware that i need god that wasn't david David here, we're we're hearing his heart, we're seeing his heart on the page of Scripture. And David here, he's crying out to God, and he's calling out to God to preserve him. And he says, God, I take refuge in you. What's he doing here? He's, He's drawing near to God because he knows that he is the most beautiful, pleasurable good. That's the main thing we're going to see in this psalm tonight, is that we draw near to God because he is the most beautiful pleasurable good. Now that might sound like hyperbole, but it's not. God's the most beautiful good. You know, if you've ever seen a beautiful sunset, God is the most beautiful good. If you've ever had any good happen to you, God is more good than that. If you've ever enjoyed a a good dark chocolate bar, that's pleasurable, or a good cup of coffee, God is far more pleasurable than that. He is the most beautiful, pleasurable good. And we need to see that because if you don't see, if you don't believe that God is the most beautiful, pleasurable good, you won't come to him, you won't draw near. So you see, sometimes we don't, we're like those dogs, we don't think that God is the most beautiful, pleasurable good, so we don't draw near. And then other times we're afraid of God, we don't think we need him, and so we don't draw near. But David, he makes this plea He says, God, preserve me or keep me, and it's because he knows that God is his refuge. Now, refuge is not a word that we use a lot in our daily lives, right? When was the last, anybody used the word refuge in the past two weeks when it wasn't about the songs that we sang today? Anybody ever use the word refuge? Last two, come on, anybody at all? Refuge? It's just not something we think about a lot. But you know, like all those Hollywood movies where this, this guy, he's running from the police in Russia, and they run, and they barely make it there in time, and they find refuge in the embassy. And when they go to an embassy in another country, they, they're fleeing hardship, they're, pl- they're fleeing peril, they're, they're pursuers, they're enemy, and they're, they're appealing to the ambassador to be their refuge. That's kind of what David is saying. He's saying, God... We, you are my refuge. You, you are the one that I need. You are the king, the kingdom that I need. His ability, his resources. God, I need you in every way. When we find refuge in a foreign embassy, it's because we need all the resources they have to protect us. We need them to keep us safe. We need them to preserve us. And that's what David is saying. God, you are like that for me. How about you? Where do you go for refuge? Where do you go for refuge when you are in need, when you need preserving or keeping, when you're in peril, when you're in danger? Where is your place of refuge? Where do we look for security, protection? All other places are frail and weak. A guy named Van Gimmer, he says, David's expectation of safekeeping is an expectation. The expectation of safekeeping is grounded in God's promises to keep and to guard members of the covenantal community who seek refuge in him. Do you know, when we seek refuge in God, he makes promises just like an ambassador in the country. If they take you in for refuge, they are making promises and commitments to keep you. And David draws near to God because he knows that God gives us good. Look down in verses 2 to 4 of your Bibles. He knows that God gives us good. He says, Lord... Apart from you, there is, I have no good. Apart from 
you I have no good. In our lives, we are so tempted to look to other things for good. You know, I can think of all kinds of good things. All kinds of things that I want, that, I, that I'm aware of, that I would like to have. You know, all these things that I think, if I only had these things, that would be truly good. Then I would be good. I would be set. You know, when my kids grew up and they go out of the house, if they come and they stay around the house, if they live close by, then I'm good. Or if I just have obedient kids, then I'm good. Or if I just have plenty of money, or if I have this or that, and... And David says, no, apart from you, I have no good. Can you say that? Apart from you, God, I have no good. He's declaring that his confidence is that the Lord is the master who will give him only good things. Now, that's hard to hear sometimes because we think, is that really true? Does God only do what's best for his children? But David says, apart from you, I have no good He's the source of all goodness. In God, all our good is found. In God, everything that is good for you is found in God. You know, God is the one who provides all of your needs. A guy named John Calvin, a few hundred years ago, 500 and some years ago or so, he says, It will not suffice simply to hold that there is one whom all ought to honor and adore, Unless we are also persuaded that he is the fountain of every good. That we must seek nothing else than in him. For until men recognize that they owe everything to God. That they are nourished by his fatherly care. That he's the author of their every good. That they should seek nothing beyond him. They will never yield him willing service. Nay, unless they establish their complete happiness in him, they will never give themselves truly and sincerely to him. Now when I hear that, I think, is that me? Have I, have I established my complete happiness in God? Do I know that he is the author of every good? Am I seeking nothing beyond him? And I pray that that's the case for me, and I pray that's the case for you. Would we seek nothing else? as our good except God. I love in, in James, the brother of Jesus, he wrote, he says, do not be deceived. In James 1, 17, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father lights, with whom there's no variance or shadow of due to change. Our Father is good, and he wants good things for you. If you forget the rest of the message, our Father is good and he wants good things for you. And so he wants you to draw near to him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I love the psalmist says, draw close to him because in him is true goodness found. The question is, are we willing to give up everything? Everything we've trusted in for our good. And are we willing to say, God, you are my good. Think about for a minute, what, what do you really think that you need? Don't say it out loud. What do you think you really need to be happy? What do you think you really need for goodness? What do you think you really need for safety, for security, for comfort? What we really need is God. 
And then I love that not only does he give us good things, he gives us good people as well. I love what David is saying. He says, for the saints... As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones. You see, God doesn't just give good gifts. He gives his people to us as well so that we're not alone. And we see God's goodness in people and fellowship. We see God's goodness that he gives his saints in the land. They are the excellent ones, he says, in whom is all my delight. He delights in God's good gift of God's people. Do you know it's a gift? And sometimes it doesn't feel like a gift. Especially if those gifts stay a long time and you're trying to go to bed at night, you know, when they, you had them over for hospitality or something. But it, it doesn't feel like a gift sometimes. But did you know that fellow believers are a gift that we're supposed to delight in? They are a good gift from God in whom is all our delight. Part of God's goodness is not to leave us alone, but to make us a part of his people. And then look down in verse 4. He says, the sorrows, the contrast here, in contrast with God's goodness, he says, the f- sorrows of those who run after other gods... They're going to multiply. Um, I, I don't have a picture of them before, but anybody remember the old original Star Trek? Um, it, was, it was before half the people in the room were alive, but there was, there was a, the original Star Trek. Any, anybody remember that at all? Anybody heard of that or seen the original Star Trek? There was uh, Captain Kirk. Anybody know? Nobody knows Captain Kirk? Okay, come on. There was an episode of these little furry things, and they... Tribbles! And what was the episode called? The Trouble with Tribbles. And the Trouble with Tribbles is that they would multiply. And they never stopped multiplying. They multiplied all over the place. They filled up everything in this whole starship. And, and so he opens his hatch and they just all fall down. They just multiplied and multiplied. And at first they look okay. They look like they're good. But they multiply and they become problematic. And, and it's kind of that same wording here is the sorrows of those who run after other gods, they will multiply. You know, sometimes we can think that good is, lies outside of God. Now for us, we don't, we don't bow down to false idols, physical idols anymore. But we do sometimes think that if I could only get this thing, if I could only have this way of life, if I could only, and a lot of times it was if I could only reveals where we have gods that we're running after. And he says, the sorrow of those who run after other gods shall multiply. That's not good. In God is goodness. There's sorrow outside of God. And then he says, their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out. And you think, boy, that's really graphic. He's this drink offering of blood being poured out. But you know what? We give our lives at times to our idols. And so what does it mean for us? You know, they would give up spotless lambs or bulls or whatever it might be. And today, though, you know, what, what, where, how, Lord, do I... I need to make sure I'm not pouring out drink offerings to false idols, not looking to other things that are our good, you know, and whenever we fill ourselves with other things that are not God, we lose a taste for the goodness of God. He says, no, put the, I put those things away from me, those drink offerings of blood I won't pour out, I won't take your name on my lips. Maybe you think, you know, I'm not, I'm not tempted in that way, but let me ask you, what do you, what do you look to to be satisfied? What do you look to to be fulfilled? Where do you look for security or comfort to cope with life and what do you get frustrated with when you don't get it? That's, that's probably the best indicator for me. What do I get frustrated with when I don't get it? You know, so often it's, it's, it's silly things, right? Now I want maybe respect from my kids or 
I just want them to, to answer me before they are, you know, whatever. I might have grandkids. I'm not picking on them. But, you know, I, my, my, my marriage and my family reveal my idols. But it's not their fault. It's mine. What do I get frustrated when I don't get? What do I get angry with? What am I worried about when I don't get? What do I get anxious about? And, and I think those are the things that we are tempted to pour out drink offerings to or name on our lips. But you see, apart from God, we have no good. And God says, come to me and find good. Come to me and find good. And come to me and find beautiful inheritance. That's what we see in verses 5 and 6. We draw near to God because he is our good. But we also draw near to God because he is our beautiful inheritance. You ever think that it's not that God just gives us an inheritance, that God is our inheritance. Isn't that astounding to think about? Wait a minute. I, my inheritance is, is to have God as my God. My inheritance is to have him as my king. He is my himself, my inheritance. David says, the Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You ever wonder what that means? What does he mean, like chosen portion of cups? So is that, you know, David, he's got to look at cafeteria plate like a lot of us did tonight. Here's my portion, here's my cup. Well, kind of is what he's saying is that God is my food. He's, he's what I choose to eat. He's my chosen portion, and he's my cup. He's what I choose to drink of. You ever think of a way about God? God, I, I, I want to be satisfied in you. I want to be filled with you, God. What's, what's our chosen portion? What's our cup? If all else fails, if everything else goes away, he says, Lord, you are my portion and cup. Now, you might not be filling, feeling filled, but God says, come to me, and, and God wants to give you of himself, of a, of a bread that will fill you, of, a, of streams of living water that will satisfy. I love in John 4, Jesus says to the woman at the well, she's drawing water, and she goes, well, sir, where do you, where do you get this water from? Because he says, I've got, I've got living water. And he says to her, he says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Talking about physical water. And we all need water, by the way. You'll die if you don't have water. But Jesus is saying, whoever drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Is Jesus your portion and your cup? Is he your portion? Is he your cup? And I love, he says, you've hold my lot. The boundaries have lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. God is his inheritance. God is his portion. God is his cup. What is he saying? He's saying, draw near to God because he's our beautiful inheritance. In the ancient times, the Israelites, they would cast lots, these little uh, cubes that kind of like dice, but they weren't dice. And, but they, they functioned that way. They would cast these lots, and that's how they received their inheritance. When they went into the land of Israel, they figured out who got what by casting lots. And David is using that kind of imagery, and he's saying, the boundary lines, where you have given to me as an inheritance is falling in pleasant places because I have a beautiful inheritance in you. What he's saying is, the land is not my inherit, does not matter as my inheritance. How much I have does not matter. It all would be worthless and meaningless if I didn't have you as my inheritance. You know, there are some people that you just like to be around. There's some people that it's just enjoyable to be around. You know, I, I know that not everybody here is an extrovert. Uh, some people I hear are introverts, you know. But um, have you ever been around somebody that's just 
pleasant to be around. Anybody, never, anybody ever been around somebody who's pleasant to be around? Okay, you don't have to say who it is, especially if it's me. Don't say that because I don't want to embarrass anybody else. But um, if, you, <laughs> if you have somebody who's pleasant to be around, you know, you just want to spend time with them. You enjoy their company. They're, they're maybe, maybe they're funny or maybe they're just wise or whatever it is. Smart, maybe. They're creative. They're poetic. They're gifted. You know, they're musical. You just want to be in their company. Now, imagine the most gifted, wise, creative person you can think of. I don't know who that might be. Anybody have, anybody have their minds? Who's the most wise, gifted, creative person? They're not in this room, but who's the, who's the most gifted, wise, creative person they can think of? You can shout it out. George. Okay. George. Okay, good. George, you're the most wise, creative, gifted person I know. And... Um, what David is, what David is saying, his head grew two sizes. It's good to encourage. That's not really true, though. I mean, honestly, you're not the most gifted person I know, but you are very gifted. But there are more gifted people than you. So can I, is that okay? Um, there are more gifted people than all of us. Imagine the most gifted, talented person and that you just want to be around. David feels that way about God because think about it. Who's more gifted than the, the giver of all gifts? Who's more creative than the creator of all? Who's more talented than the one who inspires bards and musicians? He's the most brilliant, insightful, wise, compassionate, tender and I think God is the most humorous of all as well, because he gives the gift of humor. By the way, humor is a gift. And God is all of the best and finest traits of humanity in, in, in the infinite measure. Think about that. So we're, we, in some dim way, we reflect. We, we dimly reflect the image of God. We, we reflect him as in a mirror dimly, and yet... It, I, I think people are wonderful, but yet God is all the perfections. He's all of the perfections. Every good trait that humanity is a dim reflection of, and he says that, that God is our beautiful inheritance. He's our beautiful inheritance. The Lord is his lot, his heritage. And if you've been born again, if you have him as a father, he doesn't just give us good things, he gives us himself as our heritage. Not only that, we, we draw near to God because he's good, because he's our beautiful inheritance. We also draw near to God because he's our safety. He's our safety. That's what we see in verses 7 to 10. We draw near to God because he's our safety. We draw near to God because he's good, because he's our beautiful inheritance, and because he's our safety. And if we are honest, there are many times when we are aware that we need his safety. Safety just from life. Safety from evil spirits. Safety from other people. You know, countless battles were lost by commanders who got bad counsel. They got bad advice, faulty intelligence. There's a danger in following bad advice or bad counsel. And what David is saying is God has perfect counsel. And there's safety in good counsel. You know, no one on the planet can give 100% perfect counsel. And yet God, he gives good counsel. 
I love that he says, I bless the Lord, Yahweh, the great I am, the one who knows everything. He gives me counsel. Who else will we want to give us counsel? The safety of his counsel. Do you want to have guidance? Do you want to know what you should do? Do you want, do you have things in life you're trying to figure out? It says, he gives counsel. He draws near to God because God gives counsel through his word and his counsel instructs him and informs him so much so he is so steeped in God's counsel that it instructs his heart at night. You ever have those times when you are awake at night, you wake up in the middle of the night, it's like 2, 3, 4 a.m., and all of a sudden you've got a hundred things in your head. You ever, you ever have those things? It's just, come on, tell me it's just not just me. Other people have that? All right, good. Well, it's not good, but you know, okay. I can relate. Misery loves company, right? So... Here's what he's saying is that as we go to God for counsel, God will enable us to have our hearts instructed by his counsel even at night. When you wake up, when those things hit you, when, when, when everything is on your mind about, you know, where is next week's rent going to come from? Or where, um, what about my kids? Or what about this? Or what about work? Or what about everything else in my head? And he says, I bless the Lord gives me counsel. And in the night also, my heart instructs me from the Lord's counsel. Let's draw near to God to hear his counsel. He says, I've set the Lord always before me. I love that picture. I've set the Lord always before me. No matter where he's going, he said, I've set the Lord always before me. No matter what I'm doing, no matter where I'm going, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I, otherwise I, I don't tend to think straight. I can, you know, in the middle of the night I was thinking, I can obsess about all kinds of things. But if I'm setting the Lord before me, if I have his counsel, it brings peace to my soul, comfort to my heart. And then he says, because he's at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. You know, David did not have a trouble-free life, especially when he wrote this psalm. And David, he was the smallest. He was the youngest of his brothers. He was likely picked on. You know, he, he goes out. He believes in God. He, he goes out to face Goliath trusting in God. He, he seemed to have everything made, and then, and then God speaks and shares a word that he's going to be the king, and he's just a teenage boy when that's shared. And then for the next probably 12 years or 13 years or so, he is on the run. He didn't have an easy life. He's hiding out in caves. He's on the run. His life is constantly in danger. His wife that was given to him was taken away from him and given to someone else. Don't think that David is just, you know, he's Mary Poppins, everything is great, everything is grand, you know. After he became king, his own son tries to steal the throne from him. He ends up seeing his own son die. He's older, he commits adultery with Bathsheba, he has Uriah killed. Because of later sin towards the end of his life, the Lord killed thousands of the people of Israel because he didn't trust in God. David, David experienced difficulty. He's not saying life's not hard. He's saying because God is at my, my right hand, I shall not be shaken. His confidence is in God because he experienced the good grace of God's instruction and counsel. And God is at his right hand. He knows no matter what, I know the Lord's at my right hand. So because of that, I won't be shaken. Let me ask you, what shakes you up? What shakes you up? What are you shaking by? Financial trials? Health problems? 
relational difficulties, your spouse, your children, political issues, governmental problems, terrorism, the nightly news, what shakes you up? There's lots of things that can shake you up. Here's encouragement. Draw near to God because he speaks gently to us and he tells us. See, I love in Isaiah 41, this is God speaking directly to his people. He says, fear not. Fear not. Why? For I am with you. Same thing David's experiencing. I am with you, God says to you. Hear these words for you. Fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. If we really get that, life will not be able to shake us. I don't mean that you're not going to be tempted. I don't mean that you're not going to struggle. I mean, nothing can shake you if God is your helper. He wasn't trusting in his own ability or might. He was trusting in the might and ability of God. I was recently reading about an Icelandic guy. I think I have a picture of him for you. He's a really big guy. Do you have a picture up there? Excellent. He's the guy on the left and the guy on the right. This is actually like a 5 foot 11 guy here beside that massive man on the right. And that guy's name, he is, what is his, I can't even pronounce his name, Hafjör. Julius Bjornsson, so I'm totally butchering that, but there's got a bunch of little squiggles and lines and dots over things, so half Bjorn Julius Bjornsson. He's currently the, the, the record holder for the, the world's strongest man, and um, previously he was the, I'll get to the next picture in a minute, but just leave this one up for a second. Um, he was Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger, strongman, classic medal winner. He was European strongest man. He was Iceland's strongest man. He's now the world's strongest man. He is six foot nine. You can go back to the other one for a minute, Abby. Go back to the other one. Yeah, so he's six foot nine, get this, 400 pounds. His personal records, I thought these were cool. He can squat, which I, I, is this a squat, right, when you do this? I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't do squats. Okay, that's a squat, right? Thank you. When you have weights up here, though. So pretend I have 970 pounds. That's his record for squats. That's probably like six of us. Um, a bench press. He could bench press 507 pounds. A tire deadlift of 1,014 pounds. A deadlift, I watched this one, he deadlifted 1,041 pounds. Straight up like that and held it for a second. I mean, I, only a second, but 1,000 pounds. A leg press, that one wasn't as big, 470 pounds. Log carry, uh, log, I wasn't impressed. I'm like, 470, man, he should be able to leg press more than that. The guy's a beast. But anyway, sorry. Um, log carry, 14, he, he took five steps carrying logs weighing 1,433 pounds. That's a big man. That's a big man. And I'll go to the other picture, I'll go to the other picture there for a second. This is a picture of Arnold Schwarzenegger. And by the way, Arnold Schwarzenegger, when he was younger, that's how he became famous. It was he was Mr. Universe. That guy's big. He, he makes Arnold Schwarzenegger look small. I mean, so he's a big guy. If half your was your dad and he was at your right hand everywhere you went, I think you would have some confidence. I mean, the dude, he's not just strong, he can do stuff as well. And he's, a, he's an actor and he like wields a sword and he's, anyway, so this guy, is, he's, he's incredible. If he was your dad, you would have confidence. I remember when I was little, I thought my dad was like the biggest, strongest person ever. I would try to pry his hands. Will you ever play this game with your dad? My dad would hold his fist, and I would try to pry his fist open, and I couldn't do it. 
I can't imagine half your. Um, the, the dude is, you know, I don't think my dad could pry that guy's fist open. He's huge. And David is saying, you know, I don't just have someone big, and that's great. If half your went with you everywhere you went, you know, it's like your own personal bodyguard. I think, you know, it gave you some confidence. And he says, God is at my right hand. The Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. The infinite one. Infinitely powerful, infinitely loving, infinitely wise. He's our father and he's at our right hand. I should not be shaken. If you are a Christian, then God is your father. He's at your right hand. Don't believe the lies of the devil that tell you that God is small or feeble, or that your circumstances or problems are greater than him. Don't believe the lies of the devil that say he doesn't care. He's not distant. David says he's at my right hand. He's holding my hand. Now David also means that's a metaphor that, that God is his power. He's his source of strength. He's his source of wisdom. He's, a, he's my defender, my protector, my counselor. When we realize that, you're going to want to draw near to him. God, our Father, is right there. He'll keep us to the end. And I love the response is natural. And if you don't feel this yet, I'd encourage you to meditate on this so far. Meditate on the first eight verses so that we can get to the place where the response, he says, therefore my heart is glad. It will make your heart glad to know that God is your counselor, he's your comforter, he's at your right hand, he's your beautiful inheritance, and he wants good for you. That should make our hearts glad. And my whole being rejoices. It doesn't just affect his, his, his heart, it affects his whole being, everything about him, the way he thinks. He says, I mean, it affects my body, my flesh dwells secure. God intends for us to rest in the goodness of God and his goodness to us to make our heart glad, our being rejoice, our flesh to dwell secure. See, what we think about God, it affects our joy. What you think about God affects your outlook, your perspective, your confidence. What do you think about God? How do you think about God? Proverbs 3, 4 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. Acknowledge He's at my right hand. He'll make your path straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Look to the Counselor. Fear the Lord, turn away from evil. It will be, he I love this, it's, it's, it'll be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Do you need, need, do you need refreshment? God says it'll be healing to our flesh and refreshment to our bones. Just like David's saying, my heart is glad, my, my whole being rejoices, my flesh dwells secure. And then David knows that ultimately he's safe because God keeps him safe eternally. He says in verse 10, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or allow your holy one to see corruption. Or that's set apart one to see corruption. He knows that no matter what, even in death, God will not let his body stay rotted in the ground. And he knows that ultimately he won't remain that way, that God will keep him faithful to the end and, and his soul will be with God and he won't let him see corruption. His relationship with God will not end in death. Because of Jesus, we have a greater assurance than David. God will not abandon our souls. 
Because he's been resurrected, we're one with him. We're going to be resurrected like he is. I love Romans 6.5. And we went through Romans. This is one of my favorite portions of scriptures, Romans 6, 7, and 8. And in Romans 6, 5, it says, We therefore were buried with him, Jesus, through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him like this in death, we will certainly also be raised to life as he was. We have a better promise than David. We're certainly raised to new life with Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4 says, knowing that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. We can be certain that he will not abandon us. No matter what happens to our body, he will certainly raise us. And, and he already counts us as raised with him. Not only is God good, not only is beautiful inheritance and he's our safety. Finally, we see in, in the last verse, we draw near to God because he gives us his pleasures. We draw near to God because he gives us his pleasures. We draw near to God because he's good, because he's our beautiful inheritance, because he gives us safety. But don't think that that's all that God has for you. He has pleasures in himself. You know, how do we get that place of confidence that David had? How can we know that faith and security and surety and joy that David had? It tells us in this last line here, he says, he says, God, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. You ever lacking joy? He says, in, in your presence, God, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand with you, in the favored place of privilege, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God doesn't want us to be somber, unhappy, dissatisfied Christians. He says, draw near to me because I have joy for you. I have fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. When you forsake finding joy and pleasure anywhere else, you'll find fullness of joy and pleasure in me. You know, I, when often at dinner time we'll sit around and we'll, we'll talk about different topics and how they relate to God or we'll go through the week's Sunday lesson and on Monday and talk about it with the kids and I'll ask them questions and, and the little ones know and, and it's always been this way since when, when Noah was like two and the answer was always Jesus, right? You ask him, you know, a question and the answer was always Jesus. Well, it's not always, you know. Um, who went in the ark? Jesus, no. Well, I guess hypothetically, was he there? Pri you know. But the answer for us how can we be sure? How can we know this fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore? The answer really is Jesus. John 5, 24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment. Isn't that good news? You do not come into judgment if you've trusted in Jesus but is passed from death to life. He brings us into God's presence. He makes us sit at the right hand of God and because Jesus has paid for our sins. He's taken away God's wrath. He's taken our place. He's earned the favor of God on our behalf so we can come now into his presence and find fullness of joy. We can draw near.
God's calling to us tonight. He's standing and he's calling to us. He's holding his hand out to each and every one of us. He's holding out infinite goodness to us as the most ultimate treat. He says, come and enjoy. Don't avoid me. Don't cower. Don't withdraw. You may not feel it yet, but come and I'll restore your joy. Come and I'll I'll give you pleasures. I'll give you my inheritance. I'll give you my goodness. Draw close to God. Take refuge in him. Find joy in him. Then I got the band go ahead and come up. I think you have something to close with. And I want to say the the words of the psalm together as confession. We We don't do this very often. Can you go back to the very beginning of the slides where I had the scripture? Can you do that? Is that okay? Yes? All right. Um, I want to say these together. Now, you might find yourself in a place where, you know what, I I don't know, I'm not feeling God's goodness, I'm not feeling joy, I'm not feeling these pleasures. I want us to make this a prayer and also a a declaration, a, a deep prayer to God right now, a heartfelt prayer to God as our own personal prayer, and then as our declaration by faith, where we don't believe it, Let's, let's make that declaration of faith. Can we do that? Is it okay? Let's stand up and let's do this together. Stand up and we're going we're gonna to say this psalm together. And we're not going to read the victim of David part, just so you know. So there we go. Okay, let's start. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land... They are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offering of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. My whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen. Let's sing.